Welcome to Hour 2 of Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Got a great uh, bicycle segment lined up. Corey Kugensizek is here to talk a lot about cyclocross. Corey, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's going to be great uh, to catch up on how things have gone in the offseason and uh, what you're looking forward to uh, for this year. But we always start out with little news from around the world of cycling. Um, Road World Championships has been a good week for, for the U.S. Have you been watching the Road Worlds? You know a little bit, as in I've yeah. been watching on Twitter, but yeah. not live. It's a little early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't wait for us to wake up, really, do they? They really don't. And I'll wake up for cross, but not for road. Not for road. Sorry to say. It's uh, It's been especially exciting for track people to watch what's been going on, because Chloe Do- uh, Digert obviously, is um, she's on the U.S. Uh, Team Pursuit team uh, and has many world championships with that group, but she won the road uh, time trial uh, championship. And I haven't seen, did you see who won today, the road race? Um, Van Vluten? Uh, that's not so. The Dutch, I, I believe, by in a breakaway by a crazy amount. Yeah, yep. not surprising. That's that's kind of her modus operandi. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but then we also had Megan Jastrab, who's very strong on the track in the juniors, uh, lighting it up. So she's got two track world championships this year: the Omnium and the Madison. Uh, and then she just grabbed the uh, the road uh, you uh, the the junior world championship uh, two days ago, I guess. And yeah, seven year old who's gonna light the place up right. yeah field. yeah sure. it's it's gonna be fun to watch that but it's especially exciting for track people to see that both of them have a track pedigree and are and both have said they want to continue to race the track and aren't going to abandon their roots uh for that especially with the olympics coming up right i mean everybody wants to really do well in tokyo on the track so yeah, so it was exciting to see a lot of that stuff. Um, obviously, some sadder news in the track world. The NSC Velodrome uh, had its final race of its victory lap season in the end of August. Um, we actually had an amazing night. Uh, we had a huge number of racers. A bunch of people came back uh, who hadn't raced for a really long time, which was fun. Um, and we had 600 people in the stands, which was our biggest crowd in like a decade. So it was a great way to send off uh, our beloved home, but it's still kind of bittersweet to not have the place um, at our disposal uh, for future racing. But the Minnesota Cycling Center is still working hard. Uh, we've got a number of things, uh, irons in the fire, trying to land uh, an appropriate piece of property uh, and also to try and get some funding from uh, major donors to help build the facility. So um, number one focus is trying to find a space uh, that's suitable, <clears throat> which within the you know 694, 494 ring is, is tricky. There aren't a lot of four-acre spaces that are free or close to it (laughs) in the neighborhood of downtown. But uh, the cycling center is still working hard to try and do that. So as we shift gears here, um, Corey, you're obviously focused on cyclocross. Uh, You've had a kickoff to your season already. Talk a little bit about the first couple of weekends of racing uh, that you've had so far this year. You know, I actually started my season in Roanoke over Labor Day weekend, and that is so crazy early to start cyclocross. Um, I love Roanoke. I really appreciate the course. It has a little bit of climbing to it. It's pretty sprinty. In a lot of ways, it feels kind of Euro in that sense. Cool. Um, however, I do it really to prepare for trek and jingle. Yeah. Because I feel like I need one hard effort before then. Mm-hmm. But it's a challenge for me because I am not a heat person. I've been known as the penguin due to my inability <laughs> to survive heat. <laughs> 
And sure enough, Roanoke was challenging again. I had really had a great result on the first day and then really couldn't recover in time for the second day. And that was a heat thing. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, I got to believe as a cyclocross racer and obviously you came from Nordic. um, So you're very familiar with competing in cold weather. Um, That heat's got to be a real challenge. Right. It's actually funny. I struggle with both ends of the spectrum. I really struggled when it was negative 20 and I was Nordic skiing. Same thing where it was. I was going hard, except for I was hardly moving. Yeah, that's uh, that's got to be a tough thing, and and especially this early in the season, you're going to have such huge weather swings, right? I mean, uh, we saw it at Trek Cup; like it was beautiful one day, and then it was miserable the next, right? Right. It depends <laughs> on how you define beautiful and miserable. <laughs> right. Okay. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I thought it was beautiful on that day that was miserable. <laughs> Yeah, that's a different thing. Cyclocross people have a different perspective on what's a beautiful day, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and so uh, what were some of your goals going into those? I mean, you talked a little bit about Roanoke, just getting some of those hard efforts in. What about Jingle and, and Trek Cup? What kind of things were you looking to gain? You from know, those? because I have so few starts in the U.S., a, a part of me really wanted some solid results there. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I have to think big picture. Mm-hmm. I need to be thinking of the fact that I'm literally racing until february 23rd it's a long season it's a crazy long season so i mean if i was looking to make the world championship team i would need to have put in a peak for these early races yeah that's not reality for me so while i tried to come in a little bit rested it's really really early in the season yeah you uh you obviously had a number of the competitors that you race against regularly in europe here for that what's it like to kind of be sort of the local you know, the whole experience is, is a bit surreal. One thing I will say is that it was disappointing. There were relatively few Euros that hmm. came over. Interesting. I actually took a list, look at the World world Championship results from yeah. last year. Of the top ten of the World Championships, only six came over really? to compete in the U.S. That yeah. is a little disappointing. It's disappointing, and it's it's the reality of the Euros looking at it and saying it's a long season, it's a lot of travel, and yeah. so took the risk of not coming over and sacrificing the points yeah and it's not just sacrificing uci points this year Mm. this year world cup starts are based on your world cup ranking oh wow number two no kidding so the first world cup in europe uh, which is in Bern, will have sonic kant on the third row wow because she she, didn't come over here right so she took a she took a risk now granted she can ride through the field yeah that is it's, it's a That's going to be weird to see the rainbow stripes <laughs> in the third row. That's going to be weird. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. That's incredible. Meanwhile, I would suspect there'll probably be Americans who would earn a front two yeah. position mm-hmm. be over there. Interesting. Wow. You know, that's a, I, I sort of have this philosophical issue with the early start of cross, you know, by the end of January, by July. I mean, you know, I put on the, the Southside Sprint race in July, which is the state championship criterion. And people are already like, I'm over road. Let's bring on cyclocross. It, it bugs me because it feels like a it makes the season 800 mile, you know, years long. And B, it the, the weather is not right. Right. You know, I mean, cross is supposed to be a winter sport. I don't know. Am I just being an old crabby person? or? Well, I mean, that's certainly a problem we face in Minnesota. I sort of giggle like every year when everybody's out there doing their crits in April and it's snowing. <laughs> I, I mean, I we all need to be one season ahead of ourselves. Right. And then, right, end of road season, people are gone. They're on to cross. Yeah. And by the time we get to state cross, people are burned out on that. Yeah. It's And, and y- y- meanwhile, there's still three months of the European season after we're done with state exactly. cross. Yeah. yeah. It, it's always been a very strange thing to me to see that schedule the way we're so like three months ahead of the whole rest of the world and the way we operate 
bike racing here. So what does that mean for you? I mean, obviously not loving the heat, that's got to put sort of a change in the way you prepare for those early season races, right? Yeah, I really, I made a big effort to prepare for the heat. Um, I have been doing heat training. I did that as well last year. Basically, that means I come home from my ride a little heated and um, take a nice hot bath. Wow. You know, and I felt like last year that was a game changer for me and really got me through Roanoke. But Roanoke was a single weekend. This year we were dealing with Trek being hot, mm-hmm. being hot. And the other thing is we kind of missed summer in Minnesota this yeah, year. Yeah, very so much so. So going into Jingle Cross, I was training in knee warmers in the morning. Oh, my gosh. You know? So, like, you don't oh, have that, that experience in the outside right. acclimating. Yeah. So definitely a challenge. So I tried really hard, but for me and my physiology, doing heat training means I make it three laps before I crack. Wow. So. Wow. Heat's just never going to be my happy <laughs> Nor is negative 20. So as long as we stay in between the extremes. Yeah, so Belgium is great go. because it's plus or minus 10 degrees around 40 pretty much all the time, exactly. right? Exactly, yep, 30 to 40. <laughs> yeah. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Corey Coogan-Seisig is here uh, with me, and we're talking about cyclocross and gearing up for the upcoming season. Um, your coach, Corey, uh, Helen was here, Helen Wyman was here for, uh, the, the past couple of weekends. What was it like to have her here with you in some of these early season races? You know, it's a treat. Um, I She was here last year at the same time, but last year she was still competing. Still, it was one of the highlights of the season last year to train with her between races. Yeah. However, this year it's really different now that she's not competing. You know, yeah. She doesn't have that split focus. Right. She's really committed to coaching and also being a mentor for her Expurza mm-hmm. OCX team. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's just she's all in it, and um, it was great to train with her, and also to have her have the opportunity to ex- observe me doing skills mm. both in training and in the races. Yeah, you know? and she's got such a great eye. So she comes That's back great. from races, and it's not just oh, you were X position. Mm-hmm. You can really see what's going on out there and break it down. That's great. And so, was there an added level of suffering because she was totally focused on coaching this time? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you know, when the suffering is, she'll intense, never hear this <laughs> when the suffering is, it's intense enough with her that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, it's so hard. It is really, it is truly very difficult training on the days that are difficult. It's difficult on the days that are easy. It is truly easy. Yeah. As it should be in your most recent diary for cyclocross magazine. You talked about having some of her te- her team members there with you to be doing some training and talking about how that changed your intervals. Talk a little bit about what that experience was like. Well, um, Anna Kay was the rider that I trained with. Um, she is a U23 rider out of Great Britain. She is, I think, literally 40 kilos, and she's oh, about four feet tall. Um, <laughs> Your bike weighs more than she does. Right, so she's, she, you don't want to get behind her and try to draft. No, not, that's not helpful. not an option. <laughs> but she is an incredibly gifted bike handler, and she's got some good fitness, and it was just tremendous to be able to do intervals side by side with her. Um, my power to weight has come up a ton in this last year, but I still definitely wondered, you know, how does it measure up? Yeah. Because we all, there's the theoretical power to weight that everybody talks about. Right. I think there's a major fudge factor out there. Yep. So it was really good to see what reality Mm -hmm. looks like. When we trained together on the road, we were able to push each other. That's great. In fact, because we have such opposite bodies, 
I was able to push her on the flats and she was able yeah. to push me on the climbs and we sprint almost side by side. So that's great. great. Yeah. That's really good. I'm sure it does a lot for you mentally to see where you're at and compare yourself to somebody like that. Um, but also just to have some of that extra energy in your training. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wonder what it would be like if you had that on a regular basis. I bet. I bet. Uh, you know, you could have chosen a lot of people to be your coach. Obviously I'm sure there are a lot of people over there, uh, that are up for coaching people. What were, what were some of the decision criteria? Why did you choose Helen as your coach and, and what was it, what, what were your goals in, in picking her initially? Um, when I looked, I had three finalists and of the three, I actually thought she was not the one I would pick. Interesting. Um, I believed that because she was still racing, um, you know, her focus would be split. Sure. Which, as I said, it was. But yeah. That was not a drawback in reality. Yeah. Um, I had also heard, you know, it doesn't just because you're a fast racer doesn't mean you can coach, which right. is completely true. Oh, However, sure. it happens that Helen can. That's huge. Um, so I had a I had coffee with Steph, uh, Steph Wyman and mm-hmm. Helen Wyman, um, and we just discussed cross mm-hmm. and by very quickly into the conversation I was all in. It was clear they have a level of understanding of cyclocross that frankly I couldn't imagine. Wow. It was it was beyond my understanding wow. a lot. And they're they're just very, very um, intelligent in the way they look at it and break it down. They're mm-hmm. students of the sport. And one of the things they said in that first conversation was they were talking about starts and they said starts are really a two part process. Okay. You come off the line, so there's a sprint off the line. Yep. But then there's a bit of a holding yep. pattern at the end of the straightaway. Then there's usually a backup at the corner, mm-hmm. and then there's a second sprint. Right. So as a result, when we train sprints, we don't just do a single sprint; we do a sprint, a hold, a and hold then another sprint. And a sprint. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it's interesting. Breaking that down. And yeah. Thinking of it to that level. I mean, everybody talks about, oh, I got to get the whole shot or whatever, but you know, it's really there's there's a lot of mechanics to that. There's a lot to it. Yeah. You know, and on European courses, all the more so because the starting area is probably half the width that we're right. Doing. Yeah. You've got to get to the front as fast as you can or at least find a comfortable spot to make your way through most importantly not wear the fencing at some point (laughs) yeah i gotta believe that's that's a real tricky challenge especially given where you line up uh, at the start right Absolutely. and so so obviously if you can break down as a coach like helen can break down the race into those incremental details that's got to be a huge advantage when you get into the race and you've sort of planned for those things you've you've visualized those experiences right so part of it is her out on the ground ability details like that the other thing is that she and steph made tremendous efforts to really break down what is the physiology of cyclocross hmm. particularly what is the physiology of cyclocross in europe yeah um so they did some work with some physiologists who collected data wow her. Um, and she actually has some of the only information that's out there on power. In Interesting. Cyclocross. So cyclocross, as it's in Europe, is hitting really high wattages again and again. And yeah, again it's and all again power. Without tiring. Yeah. Right, but it's not sustained power. Right. It's, it peaks. For Absolutely, me, yep. it's repeats of mm-hmm. over 600 watts again and again Man. and again. So, yeah. for example, some of the training we do has me hit peaks like that. 60 times in a workout. Wow. So you're developing the ability to repeat mm-hmm. type efforts. That's interesting. And it, it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, Europe versus elsewhere and U uh, S really is probably the, the best comparison. It, it really is a different sport here in the U S don't you think? It is a different sport. Um, even when the conditions are similar, the courses are very different. Mm-hmm. 
you can really roll the corners yeah. in the U.S. So there isn't that almost to a stop reacceleration at really high wattage mm-hmm. because there's that fluidity. Yep. And even a dry course in Belgium is different because their grass is different and their soil is different. Interesting. So it's just never as fast as it is in the U.S. Interesting. So despite having you know grown up racing in the U.S., if you will, when I got back here, it's still, yep. it's a shock. To yep. me, it feels really, really fast, and I'm sure it feels that way to Euros. I, well. I bet, yeah. But if they get a technical course, they're going to have some advantages, obviously, right? Absolutely. I mean, they would certainly change the game if the course is, is built in such a way that they're more familiar. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, even looking at the, the experience the Euros must have had, um, at Trek Cup on Sunday in the mud. Mm-hmm. I haven't really read much in the European media, but I would wonder, yes, it's mud, just like they have in Europe, but right. it's different mud. Interesting. It wouldn't surprise me if people felt felt it handled differently. And yeah. Had, had different requirements wow. than we were used to. So so reflecting on this is, is your first, last year was your first full season with Helen, is that right, as your yes. coach? Yeah. Um, you talked a lot about the mechanics and sort of becoming a student of the sport. What are some of the other things that that you were able to take advantage of uh, as a result of working with her last season? Um, the big thing is I, I came into working with Helen and I was pretty overtrained. Mm. Um, I was good at putting down a lot of TSS, training yeah. stress per week. <laughs> um, not so good at resting. And I would say the training stress I was doing wasn't making me a faster rider. It was hmm. stress. Interesting. You know, it's easy to look and say, oh, I got a thousand TSS. I have a lot of stress. Right. Well, yes, you have stress, <laughs> not necessarily fitness. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so the training changed to really high end and really easy. Mm-hmm. So it's endurance or it's hard. There isn't a lot of that 80, 90, 100%. Yep. That's a big change for me. Interesting. And my, I just got a ton more rested. I could recover between workouts. That's great. And I lost weight, which I mentioned, not because I changed my eating, but I really think it came out of my ability to be rested. Interesting. Your body doesn't experience as much stress. Sure. Wow. And so as you start to think about what's coming for the rest of this season, what are some of the things that you're looking for? I mean, what are some of your goals for the 2019-2020 campaign? You know, unfortunately, it's a bit nebulous. Um, my goal and and the reason I'm still in this sport is because I, I feel the need to get to the top of my capacity. Hmm. So it's one of these things where when I get there, I'll know it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might be on an amazing day, a top 10 in Europe. That would be an amazing day. Yeah. You know, it snows. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I know I have that capacity now. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it on the road with yeah. Anna. Yeah. But, but how do I make it happen in a race? And so it sounds like you maybe are going to be looking at individual race weekends and starting to pick and choose a little bit and say, well, this race, maybe, you know what, I just want to get good at something specific, or maybe I want to actually try and hit the, hit the top 10. Is that, is that kind of how you're approaching it? There is a focus. Yeah. I mean, we we're actively putting a peak in and I'm, and I'm putting, I'm choosing when to peak based on what the races are like. Yeah. I have um, one race in particular I've done really well at the last two years, so I'm trying to make sure I come into that race with really mm-hmm. form. Which race is that? It's Overissa, okay. which is not well known, even though it's one of the oldest races on the Belgian calendar. Cool. So it is um, a C1. Uh, it is technically in Flanders, but it's um, almost in the French-speaking portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Belgium. Interesting. So it's in a hillier area. It's yeah. like Namur, so the course is much like Namur, where it's very climby. Yeah, 
That's great. Is is climbing one of your is areas of specialization? I mean, is that what you like to do? Climbing is my absolute strength. Yeah. And so it's a it's a pleasure to race in Europe because there are more climbing mm-hmm. courses out there. Yeah. In America, Jingle Cross has elevation changes, mm-hmm. but basically no one else does, or at least not significantly. Yeah. Ones. Yeah. Whereas one of the early races I will do in Europe is the Koppenberg. Oh boy. Straight up <laughs> iconic climb. Yeah. Wow. That's got to be kind of fun to have those experiences too, right? To be on those amazing roads where, uh, you know, legends have been made. Absolutely. And, and at this point, the Koppenberg feels a bit like my backyard because I lived say five kilometers from it. No kidding. So I've been up and down it a number of times. That's great. So it's iconic, but it's also familiar. Yeah. That's, that's, it's incredible to think, you know, I mean, everybody, every tourist who goes to Europe has that experience like, wow, this is amazing. But to, you know, sort of have that and then just be, well, yeah, this is my neighborhood. Right. right. That's gotta be fun. And I can't tell you how many Americans I've taken to the Koppenberg. I bet. The second they land, that's where they want to (laughs) go. And I'm like, oh, not again. You know, and it's always on a recovery day for me. Right. Ride ride up that hill at recovery (laughs) base. Yeah, I don't think that would be that easy. Right. It's no, probably it's harder than your actual workout, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and are you going to be living in the same place again this year? I will be living in the same town. Okay. Um, I will be living at the Chainstay Cycling House, mm-hmm. um, which I actually discovered last year via the Wyman's. Hmm. Um, it's a cycling house run by an American, um, a Texan. No who kidding. Moved over to Belgium to compete and then stayed there and opened the wow. cycling house with his wife. So it's nice because he has been in Belgium forever, so he you know, can send you to the right places, mm-hmm. like food, et cetera, knows all the details, but also has that American background. Yeah. It's the experience of having gone over and thrown himself in. What a what a relief that will be to not have to sweat some of those details. Because I remember some of the things you wrote last year and even some of the things we talked about when you were here in February, uh, just like figuring out where to get food on a Sunday when stuff is closed. <laughs> Right. And I'm glad that I did it the hard way initially. Yeah. The first time I stayed in a tiny town in Flanders um, in a family home hmm. with one other person. And so I had nothing but my own wits to rely on. Right. And then last year I was in an Airbnb, but in Audenarda. So mm-hmm. life's a little easier there. You're in a city with other American sites. Yeah. And now that I've had the overwhelming experience, now I'm going there to perform. So yeah. I want to be in a situation that just feels comfortable and easy. It's you know, another thing that I noted from your um, your most recent diary in Cyclocross Magazine was the whole support you know, and how beneficial that is and why it's actually useful for the riders to sit in those comfy chairs while everybody's taking care of their kit and washing their bike and everything else, right? Absolutely. Um, it's been funny for me because I'm back in the United States and I actually have some support challenges here. Um, now that I'm running my own team, that means I don't have a support network here right. in the United States. I right. built my team around Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm here, I'm kind of uh, my own project manager trying to pull together the pieces. Jay Henderson has been great helping me as a mechanic and pitting for me. That's great. I've had people helping me throw water on me on the course. and But I've had to pull all those details together, and I've spent more than a little bit of time standing outside the cow barn watching mm-hmm. my bike and yeah. across, and that wears on you. I'm sure it does. I mean, it seems like a little thing. You know, you, everybody can stand there with a power washer, but it's just all the mental gymnastics you have to go through that are keeping your brain from race focus. Right, yeah, and I found that Sunday that it was very hot, and I raced a Jingle Cross. I got there four hours before, and I literally just felt I was running from thing to thing. Oh. I handled a mechanical. It took me an hour to clean my bike. I was mm-hmm. ice socks and Man. water bottles, and I was like, 
10 minutes before I have to warm up, suddenly I can sit down and chill. And, wow. And in a hot day on a tough course, it's hard to go into it in that position. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're that close to race time and you really want to start, okay, I've got to figure out where the, the lines are and all of this kind of stuff and get ready. Yeah, I yeah, can see. Yeah, some Americans were, were criticized for not spending time out on the course late in the day as yeah. the course was drying and adjusting mm-hmm. their tire, tires accordingly. But I couldn't even get to the course late in the day. Yeah, when I was washing my bike. Right, I had to. I had to go on my early mm-hmm. ride. Yep, and that makes a difference. Obviously, when the course is going to dry out that much, and you've got mud, you're, you're prepped for mud, and then it's dry. It changes everything. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's a best guess and you know knowledge scenario. You talked about your team in Europe and being built around your your European campaign. Talk a little bit about the team that you've built. Um, well, I rode for Amy D Foundation mm-hmm. last year, and my heart is still very much with that program, and mm-hmm. I actually work for them doing social media. Nice. Um, but my mechanics, um, Cyclocross Custom, that I work with in Europe, mm-hmm. um, basically came forward and offered me a level of sponsorship that would be a game changer for me. So it made sense then to, to start my own program. Neat. It's, it was a challenge I've wanted to take on for a while, mm-hmm. to really be able to select the sponsors I want to work with and be on the equipment I want to be on and, and have that challenge of project managing my own team. Mm-hmm. But but having this opportunity come up was really the, the thing that moved me forward. That's great. And uh, you are the core of the team, I assume. Do you have other riders who are going to be riding under your banner? <laughs> I am the team. You are the team. You know, my dream, um, maybe next year if I'm still competing, would be to, to add one other development mm-hmm. rider. Yep. But I mean, that's that's a really before that's reasonable. That's a pretty common thing in in Belgium, right? I mean, to have of like a rider be the team. I mean, some of these teams are larger, obviously, but it's actually an American model. It has become interesting. an American model because, unfortunately, I would say ten years ago when I was first starting cyclocross, there were many professional teams mm-hmm. out there. Um, and then there were some financial challenges and many of those teams folded. Mm-hmm. As a result, many riders came back as individual privateers. Mm-hmm. And some of those privateer teams have actually now grown into professional squads taking hmm. on other riders. That's great. Right. Yeah. So I think things are becoming strong again. Good. But but through the process of privateers creating teams. You, you talked a little bit about the support network that's required. What are the support uh, aspects of your team. I mean, so, what are the what are the logistics of of your team? Well, life in Belgium is easy, as easy as life can be in <laughs> yeah, Belgium. Yeah, what you don't see is the air quotes that right. Corey just used. <laughs> yeah. So, the mechanics I've been working with um, will continue to serve me at the races in the same way they have historically, which mm-hmm. is basically, I do my pre ride, I hand off a bike, they hand me back a clean bike. Nice. My second pre-ride, we repeat this process. And then at the end of the day, obviously, they pit for me as well. Mm -hmm. We get done with the race. They clean my bike. They clean my clothing and my shoes. And by clean my clothing, I mean they spray it off. Yeah, they power wash it, right? (laughs) Right, which is huge. Because you have to wash your clothes before you wash your clothes. Yeah. So being able to take my clothes home wet in a bucket as opposed to (laughs) covered in mud and then I'm going to stand in the backyard and hose them off is, is a game changer. And they wash my shoes as well. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So it, it's just cutting down all that washing. Yeah. I mean, I assure you, I still take my kit and I'm 
trying to wash it off in the sink and then yep. wash it again. I mean, I'm an expert washer just to take <laughs> away a little bit of that work. I'm sure. And the other thing is then they take my, they take the, usually I have two bikes there. Yep. So they take one bike back with them mm-hmm. and they basically overhaul it before the next race. Wow. And then we switch mm-hmm. because the bikes have to be constantly cleaned sure. and maintained inside. Yep. You know, I, that, I'm sure that mud just gets everywhere. It gets everywhere, and frankly, I'm still finding it. I mean, I pulled a cassette off right before Jingle Cross, and I was like, oh, that is Belgian sand. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and so I'm sure just having that load off of your mind, and especially on race day, I mean, obviously having that, you know, having them take care of the bike in between races is, is huge, but that race day confidence and comfort that you know that everything's going to be ready for you, that's got to be huge. Right, and... And I can count on them to handle whatever crazy little thing comes mm-hmm. up, you know. And because they are so responsive and competent, I feel comfortable bringing little issues up to them. Yeah. You know, like, let's put a little lube in my pedals because I'm not getting out easily. Interesting. You know, and yeah. I know that they have the bandwidth to do that and accomplish it. And I also know that they can make changes to my equipment in the pit. Mm-hmm. You know, if I come in and I say I don't have brake pads they can change them on the fly. That's great. Which I wouldn't necessarily trust any mechanic to do. Right. It's a pretty harsh environment to mm-hmm. try to do actual work. Yeah, absolutely. And are the, are the team that you're going to have uh, supporting you this year, are they people you worked with last year as well? Right. So they are Cyclocross Custom. I've yep. actually worked with them since the absolute beginning. Oh, cool. Um, I worked with a mechanic the very first time I went over there, and he was training my friend mechanic, Denis. Um, and so the, the time I came over full time for the first time, mm-hmm. which was two years ago, yep. Denise sort of started this, this company mm-hmm. and added two staff people. And so the company has really grown with me Nice. and I've been part of that process. That's fun. You know, and it's been fun, right? It's been fun to be able to help them reach out to the Americans and help mm-hmm. coordinate things and help explain the nuances of working yeah, with Americans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's making, easing their transition into end growth, um, but also giving your American colleagues an opportunity to work with somebody that you've helped to sort of shape and mold. And Right. Right. And so last year we had a decent number of Americans come over and this year we have even more. Great. So, I've had people reach out to me, and I also posted on Instagram and basically said, if you need help, reach mm-hmm. out to me, because I'm trying to mentor people mm-hmm. who are going over for the first time. Yeah. the uh, uh, You talked a little bit about the sponsorship packages that you've got put together. What are some of the things that the sponsors are looking for you to accomplish on their behalf? Um, fortunately, I think my sponsors are looking for me to continue to do what I'm already doing. I mean, I'm sure they'd be thrilled if I got a World Cup podium or won races or what have you. Um, But it's important to them that I am doing the writing I'm doing for Cyclocross Magazine, Mm -hmm. that I'm um, being a mentor to other riders, Mm -hmm. helping bring riders to Europe, and then I'm active on social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them, it's as much a, a... it's as important that I'm sharing my story, that I'm helping growth in the sport, helping yeah. other riders to grow as it is that mm-hmm. I'm winning. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and this is not a cross-specific thing. It's a, I mean, I think bike racing in general, racers don't fully understand what sponsors want. You know, so they'll come back with, oh, I got this podium at this, you know, tiny little race in the middle of nowhere, and here's a picture. You know, but I don't think they fully grasp that sort of ambassador role that it sounds like you're really taking on behalf of your sponsors. 
Yeah, you know, I hope I am. The one thing I will say about all my sponsors is that they're good people who want to see the sport grow. That's you know, great. And, and I'm not sure that anyone sees as much return on their investment as they would like. Sure. You know, not only for me or from people who are winning the World Cup. A lot of this is people who truly believe in the sport, who truly hmm. want to help others out and are and are helpful to me because of that as well. That's fantastic. And they're willing to put their money up to, to support that. Exactly. Yeah. You talked a little bit about your bikes earlier. What's your what's your rig going to be this year? Um, I am riding a Scott Addict frame set, Mm -hmm. and this one actually has a history. They're getting pretty old now. Yeah. Um, They were Becca Ferringer's bikes. No kidding. She was riding for Amy D Foundation. Wow. Yeah. Um, And I had the option of getting on new frames this year, Mm -hmm. and I almost pursued that. But the thing is that the Scots are some of the lightest frame sets out there. So it's pretty hard to not get on a heavier frame. Yeah, right. And since I'm relatively small, Mm -hmm. timing's kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. It's nice to keep the bikes light. Definitely. And so basically I had sponsorship through Cyclocross Custom for either bike frames or wheel sets. Ah. And I decided to stay on the old frames. Mm Um, and they're helping me out with wheel sets. That's great. Tremendous. What, what wheels are you going to be rolling? Which brings me to another thing about wheels. Um, Last year I rode tubeless, and I feel that tubeless is a tremendous setup in the United States. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't feel that way about riding tubeless in Europe. Interesting. And the reason for that is that, again, that soil is so incredibly soft. Mm-hmm. So being able to run a tire really, really low is critical. Yep. So for me, one of the things I looked at when I considered my setup this year is the one thing I felt had to change is I needed to be able to get on tubeless. Tubulars. Tub- Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I've been thrilled to be able to switch over to challenge tires as well. Wow. And I actually started cyclocross on challenge way back with the Ridley factory team. Wow. Yeah. 2008. So my very first tires were challenged and I just kind of thought they were the norm. Yeah. Right. That's what I had. And since then I've been on several other brands mm-hmm. and they, they haven't been as good as challenge. So it's hmm. to finally get back to challenge yeah. is, is delightful, especially in the situation I'm in where I'm racing in all this mm-hmm. soft conditions. Yep. So, um, pressure obviously is a big issue, which is probably why you went back to the tubulous tu- tubulars because tubeless, you burp a lot when you get really low, right? <laughs> you know, I've never burped mine, but boy, have I. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was running, um, 18 in front and as low as maybe 21 and back. Yeah. And I got away with it, but I, I wouldn't go pushing the edge. Lower. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure tread is an issue too. You know, when you're choosing, depending on the course conditions, um, what, as you think about tubulars, does that restrict your, your usage? I mean, does that just restrict your options? Well, right. So that's the reality of the situation is when you end up on tubular, you need a ton of wheel sets. Right. So I actually have six wheel sets wow. for me in Belgium. Wow. Right. And that's honestly, we kind of thought five was the minimum that you would try to run mm-hmm. because you basically need two muds to mid tread mm-hmm. and something that's faster and appropriate for sand. Yep. And then as you get later in the season, 
you maybe switch out one of the sands mm-hmm. more aggressive. Interesting. So, but this way I have, I'll have everything I need. So that's going to be really exciting. That is exciting. So you can go into the race feeling good about that, especially even if you course conditions change from pre-ride to, to the race and so on, right. Or one day to the next. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and there'll be extra wheels for me in the pit for mm-hmm. that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And right now I'm still running my tubeless setup from last season and I have three wheel sets so the weather has been a lot more challenging because I'm doing this gambling going into right. Do I keep two muds on there mm-hmm. or not? So yeah. I'm really looking forward to getting Europe, to Europe and getting on those wheel sets. That's great. Uh, what other components do you have that are uh, critical to your success over there? Are you running? Is, are those a single speed or a single chain ring, I should say? Well, good question. Um, I'm riding Shimano. Okay. I'm riding two by. Okay. Which is wow weird in the united <laughs> states not as weird super retro Corey. i know <laughs> and i love it um i actually started obviously i started cyclocross on two by we yep. all did and then i went to a single ring because it was the thing to everyone's do. I mean, doing it's, it <laughs> it's not like i had a lot of thought in the process i admit it just seemed like the thing to do um and then i went to europe the first time and ran that single all winter in Europe yeah. and you're training on the road yep. on a single and I hated it because the jumps are so big mm-hmm. like you're constantly in the wrong gear. I bet. So I really wanted to be on two by again. And the thing about Europe is that two by is still much more common than it is in the U S. Hmm. So I felt suddenly I felt okay about it. Yeah. I wasn't doing a retro thing. I was doing something that'd say half the field. Right. Yeah. Um, I also run Wickworks, um, and I I bought them last year Mm -hmm. because I truly believe in the brand. Um, I've been using them. When I ran double, I was using them, so way back when. So then I went when I went back to double, I went to Wickworks. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that is because they make a 4234. I was just going to ask you what up. your gearing was. Right, yeah. right. And it, the standard gearing that you get is typically a 46. Yeah. And a 46 is far larger than I will ever need unless I'm, you know, on right. pavement with a tailwind. Yeah. Right. So yep. this is, for me, I, it's important to have that gearing. Mm-hmm. And then on the back, I run an 11.28. So it gives okay. me a really it's a good range. range. Yeah, it's absolutely. nice to train on. Mm-hmm. I don't have those big jumps. Um, and I use both the big and the little ring yeah. frequently. 10 or 11? 11. 11. Yeah, okay. Yep. I am yep. in the modern era. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> And and so it sounds like you've you've pretty much got your rig dialed in the way you want it. I mean, it sounds like you've got to you feel pretty confident about your equipment choices this year. Yeah, I haven't changed anything with the exception of the tubular yeah. situation. Yep. So that's going to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I also run Shimano. That was a, a change I made last year mm-hmm. when I went to that the two by. You're running SRAM. I was. Yeah. Yep. And I've been happy with Shimano, um, particularly the pedals in Europe. Hmm. They've handled the sand and mud really well. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Which pedal uh, from them? Um, they're top of the line. One. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the spendy one. <laughs> but it's worth it. That's yeah. good. I actually, I've run um, both their top of the line and the bottom of the line mm-hmm. one. Um, and either works well in good conditions. Mm-hmm. Um you get to the the XTR are better in sand. Yeah, interesting because they don't clog up as much. Right, there's a little more airspace in there. Ah, right. So that's a big thing. Yeah, there's especially if the sand is wet. Stuff. Yeah, I right. believe it. 
I, uh, the sand thing is just really fascinating to me. I, we went to the Belgian national championships several years ago and it, the spectacle alone was unbelievable. It was, it was the greatest experience we've ever had. But, uh, I remember it was all on sand. It was at, uh, uh, Oh gosh! Beach. Yeah. Yes. Yes. With the crazy flyover, that yes. was like a highway. Bridge. Yes, exactly. Yep. And and half the course was sand, pretty much. And there was some parts where it was completely packed, like you could fly over it. And then the other parts were the dunes, where it was just like nothing but mush. And so the big place to stand was up the top of the dunes and watch and see how many people could actually make it all the way up. <laughs> that was pretty fun. But that was my first real inclination of oh, sand is super different. And yeah. yeah. And, of course, last year I learned that the sand is different in different parts of Belgium. Really? Mm-hmm. So I did my first, I did, my, I did a sand race at Coxida and yep. just loved it. And then went to Mole and yep. really struggled. And everybody said, well, the sand's different. Was, You've got to be kidding me. You know, and they're like, oh, and it's even different in Zonhoven. Oh, great. great. <laughs> Fantastic. And so as you start to think about some of these races coming up, I mean, you talked a little bit about some of your favorites. What are what are the, the key races that you're really going to be focusing on this year? Um, Koppenberg comes relatively soon. Mm-hmm. I'll try to make sure I go into Koppenberg at least well-rested yeah. because it's got the great climbing. Mm-hmm. That's my happy place. Um, later on in the season, I will be focused in late December on some other climbing events. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Ronsa, mm-hmm. it's climby. It's followed the next day by Zonhoven. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, it's followed the next day by Oberissa. So it's basically two incredibly hard races in a row. So wow. I may have to make a selection yeah. or I will pay the price on Sunday. <laughs> and then I think it's the following weekend that's Zonhoven, okay. which is both climbing and mm-hmm. sand. Yep. So those are my three favorites. I've actually never done Ronsa, but I've hmm. always wanted to. It's like half hour ride down the road from where I live fun um, and it's climbing yeah so. you uh you did a little traveling outside of Belgium uh, I know you at least uh, raced in Luxembourg uh once last year right maybe twice yes yeah, so yeah. last year I raced in Switzerland Luxembourg and France mm-hmm. and are you going to do some of those traveling uh, excursions again this year my hope is to do the Bern World Cup mm-hmm. which is in Switzerland mm-hmm. and Tabor in the Czech Republic yep if I get into that World Cup. Mm-hmm. Those would be the two times I leave Belgium. Okay. Um, the cost starts to get really high. I bet. Mostly because at that point, um, then we're driving a huge truck carrying a ton of water mm-hmm. at European fuel prices. Right. So it gets really spendy. I bet. Um, so I need to make sure that I'm doing races that my mechanics are able to come to. Yep. Last year, I did both Switzerland and Luxembourg, Mm -hmm. my husband as my mechanic. Mm -hmm. And he is a fabulous USA cycling official. He's not (laughs) really a mechanic. The skills don't transfer, do they? No, I mean, he can calculate the 80% back rule in his head. (laughs) And after a race, when I ask him, you know, something about what happened, he'll be like, oh, number 86. And then there was number 46, you know, so he knows everyone's number. But as I said, support is everything. Yeah. And I really came from back from those races pretty tired and my mm-hmm. bike's pretty beat up. Yeah. So as much as there are great opportunities for UCI points yeah. as you travel, I think it's more important for me to be in a good support situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so obviously you're gonna you're starting to do some development for new new riders. You talked a little bit about that and you talked about doing some coaching. 
talk a little bit about your coaching uh, business and what that, how it's starting to shape up. So I started uh, my business, Triple C LLC, to support both my team, mm-hmm. Triple C Racing and Triple C Coaching. Um, I've known forever that I wanted to get into coaching, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, needed to take the plunge. Yep. I actually coached for years. Um, I coached Nordic skiing, cross-country running, and track and field starting way back when I was in college. No kidding. So that was actually my, my college job for the last couple of years. Is that right? It was great. I bet yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. And then I went straight from there to I coached Nordic skiing and cross-country running at visitation school mm-hmm. five years after that mm-hmm. um, then I did about a year and a half coaching Minnesota junior cycling when I was first starting mm-hmm. so it's been a while since I have coached but it's something I absolutely loved from the very beginning so I've always hoped it would become my career so at this point I am doing a tiny bit of coaching on the side mm-hmm. trying to grow the business hoping that I will retire from cycling at the same time that the business is able to take off enough that I can maybe afford to eat yeah <laughs> result of that's work that I'm that's doing. a good goal it is a good goal to <laughs> keeping the lights on right. is helpful yeah yeah <laughs> and and so uh, what are some of the things that you're going to focus on as a coach what are some of the things that you want to be able to bring to your riders you know a, a whole I describe myself as being holistic and what I mean by that is I think it's terribly important to look at what the athletes life circumstances mm-hmm. are and build their training around that yep Because I can just put in the perfect training schedule Mm -hmm. that would get them fast. But if it doesn't reflect their availability and makes them happy, they won't have results. That's a hard thing. Yeah, I learned that through my own experience of doing badly and having that life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, I also learned that in one of my very few first clients has an incredibly demanding job, mm-hmm. total type A personality, can take on and do everything. Mm-hmm. But I quickly discovered that less training was more for her. So I needed to hmm. look at when she had openings in her week and do the best possible workouts. For yeah. Those. You yeah. Know, and sometimes they were maybe compromises, not what would be the very best workout, but something mm-hmm. she could get done on a trainer in the mm-hmm. morning yep. she went to work. Yep. It's amazing. You know, you think about the old style of training. You talk to older cyclists, people who are older than we are, um, and they're like, uh, just miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It doesn't matter. Just ride. And it's uh, it seems like things have changed, and it, things, it seems like you're even taking that to another level in terms of walking away from that. Right. Mode. I will say that the ideal situation involves a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. As a full-time athlete training with Helen right now, I do a crazy amount of volume. (laughs) It really is. It's just like old school. That is still real. It is still the best way to develop an athlete. Reality is you can't do it. Life gets in the way. Your job. Right. Right. Yeah. So there needs to be a a balance. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's that book, The Time Crunch Cyclist. Yep. That can be done as well as long as it's not pursued. 12 months a year. Right. There needs to be breaks. You can't just do intensity. Yeah. So trying to mix intensity and volume mm-hmm. and still do this within the constraints of a person's life. Yeah, so right. It's a bit of a balancing yeah. act. But part of it is what makes them happy, too. Absolutely. You know, when I have a rider who comes back from a two-hour gravel ride and writes a training piece that she <laughs> just had so mad. much fun, <laughs> that means a ton to me. Yeah, and absolutely. Frankly, you know, when I'm weighing, do we get another interval day in or do we send this person running who absolutely loves running? We probably send them running. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you got 10 watts or you're happy. Right. Happy tends to go faster than a few more watts. Yeah. 
It's, it's interesting to think about that. And so as you start to work with some of these clients, I've got to believe there's a lot of, you know, sort of getting into their psyche and figuring out who they are and what they like and, and really trying to get to who they are at their core. Right. Right. And I try to, I'm trying not to onboard too many people at one time mm-hmm. because the first month is more intensive. Basically, I, bet. I start by sitting down with them and talking, mm-hmm. and then we only schedule training one week at a time mm-hmm. so that I can then get to know them before I put a big sure. chunk of training out. Yeah. And then as they get further along in the process, it's easier for me to schedule two to four weeks at a mm-hmm. time. Yep. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We're here with Corey coogan Sizek, who has just launched the Triple C coaching business uh, alongside her racing responsibilities and uh, her departure upcoming for, for Europe. Uh, Corey, I'm, I'm sort of curious to know about you know the way you're approaching devel- developing your business and growing. You talked about doing it slowly, but you also did uh, a clinic earlier in, I guess it was in August, for uh, FTW people, and I'd love to learn more about how that went. It looked like it was a lot of fun from what I saw on social media. You know, it was amazing. I had really low expectations. I had a number of people tell me it couldn't be done. Essentially, you could not fill fill a clinic with FTW riders. Wow. There was not an interest that people would not pay for a clinic. Interesting. Um, So there was a lot of negativity, and I had low expectations. I tried to set the cost affordably, Mm -hmm. but I also anticipated I didn't think I'd get more than 5 to 10 riders. Wow. At the end of the day, I had almost 30. Fantastic. they were, like, knocking the door down. That's like great. The night before, I was still getting phone calls in Texas. Hey, is there room? Could squeeze me in. Wow. Right. Good. So um, I added Megan Barr and Carrie Sipe mm. helped me out when all of a sudden this thing was blowing up. Great so coaches added, in their own right. Right. So yeah. I, suddenly we became a three-person staff, and I still couldn't handle all the bodies that wow. wanted to come in. Wow. Yeah. So it was amazing, and it was a... I think it was a great clinic. It was a great group of people. They got, all got to get to know one another. And as a result, I think they've created a great community for themselves in cyclocross. It's, it, I, it's creating a comfortable, supportive community that I think that's sort of great. rolled forward on its own. Yeah. So what's the upshot of that event? Are you going to continue to do that? Is that going to be a core of what you do? It's definitely something I will continue doing. It's definitely something that the three of us will continue to mm-hmm. do. We felt it was really valuable to have three perspectives. I bet. So anytime you explain something, all three of us would explain, knowing that maybe one of the three explanations would mm-hmm. resonate with someone. Right. Yeah, everybody learns so differently, right? I mean, some people are very visual. Some people are very tactile and, you know, like learn by doing. And, yeah, I'm sure that having those different perspectives really helped a lot. That's really fun. And so what were some of the things that you learned? You know, other than that, what were some of the things that you learned coming out of that experience? The biggest thing was that I learned that that interest was there. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it was just reinforcement of how people thrive if you put them in a supportive environment. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely did a mixture of stand up and learn this and practice this as well as sit down, introduce yourself, and let's talk about cyclocross. Yeah. So I think it felt like a really tight community by the end. Neat, so everybody got to know one another. and Right, and yeah. then for, therefore had comfort falling over in front of one another. Right, you know, so yeah. So I think it just kind of removed some of the stress. That's great. It sounded like it was really fun. I mean, like I said, I saw a bunch of pictures and videos from people, and they just the, over the moon having a blast. 
Yeah, and the other thing I did, which I think was key, is that the clinic was actually two parts. There was the one-day clinic, mm-hmm. and then at the kickoff, uh, the Intercontinental Championships at Worth, so yep. the first event of the season, mm-hmm. and invited those riders back and did a pre-ride with them, helped them with pressure, helped them with pinning numbers. So therefore, their first race experience was a supportive one. That's great. So I think it stepped them into the actual racing. And I'm sure you got really positive feedback on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And people walked away from the day proud of what they did. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're seeing sort of at a higher level, um, really amazing development on the road scene, right? This is for the, for the U S seems like there's a lot of emphasis on the road and on track where, you know, you can sort of make some concrete results maybe of riders who aren't traditional riders. And so you've seen Megan Jastrab and you've seen Chloe and you've seen, you know, uh, Quinn who just blew the doors off in the, in the U 23 race. Um, so you got great ride, rider development going on do you feel like the same thing is happening in cross are you seeing rider development sort of coming up here in the u.s i think it is i say that with some some reservations um part of i think what you may be seeing is that um usa cycling had some staffing changes in the last two years or so so there was a time last year that the european program for cyclocross juniors was struggling a bit Mm. and and I don't think they had as many dates on the calendar as they have in prior seasons. Right. Um, so that was part of it. However, they received a large grant from the Rafa Foundation yep. that went to the USA Cycling Mud Fund. Mm-hmm. And that has given them some money to put towards development That's in great. Europe and yep. development into the U.S. That's great. So that helped fund the junior camps that mm-hmm. they had at the World Cup, yeah. as well as, I believe, some of the summer development. That's programs. that's great. So that's going to be a positive change. Yeah. And, and certainly, the, it, we're not without success stories. I mean, Nick, Carty, Nick Carter is a fantastic success story from the U.S., right? And so there are young riders coming out of the country. Right, and, and that's where they're coming from is these <laughs> regional programs, and I think that's where it needs to start from yep. is the regional programs. Yep. And then I would like to see the opportunity for riders to go to Europe but for more significant blocks. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's all that helpful to just go to the world championships, to just get one start. I think the ideal is to go over there for 10 days or two weeks, yeah. five or 10 starts. Well, especially given how different the sport is over there, right? I mean, you can train and ride all the U.S. Uh, you know, cross courses you want, but as you've said several times, it's a way different thing. Um, so you really do have to have those multiple day experiences to, to really get into that. And know what different kinds of mud feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, one day the World Championships—that's a great experience. It's wonderfully overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we can say that's development. That's right. Racing at the high yeah. school, which is different. Well, and that's you know those kids over there race that way all the time. Right. And so they're very familiar when they get to that world championship start line they're They know all those people. They've been on that course probably two or three times and they know what to expect. And, you know, when you've got a kid who's, you know, their eyes are rolling back in their head because they've never done it before and their pre-ride is their only time to experience the course. That's uh, a big deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Puts them on the back foot almost right away. Yeah. You yeah. know, and the other thing is there are great local races in Belgium, mm-hmm. like little low key B races. Yeah. You know, and I, those are great experiences. Yep. You get juniors into those. It's 
It was, I remember, I think it was, uh, I don't know, June or July, there was a bunch of the U.S. junior road women uh, who were over there, and they rode in a 15 to 16-year-old boys crit, yep. and they ended up winning it and they had a great experience. I mean, those are the kinds of things that I think you're talking about, right? Right, I mean, right. It's the same thing as the Kermesse circuit that yeah, they have over right. in Belgium. Yep. So there's, there's an equivalent in cyclocross. Mm-hmm. So as you as you look toward the rest of the season, um, obviously getting over there and getting settled in is going to be kind of job one. Um, what are some of the things that are going to make you feel successful at the end of the season? Again, a um, little nebulous there. <laughs> you know, I'm going to know it when I have those results. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's a huge focus of mine is getting the most that I can out of Helen and Steph Wyman. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be staying with them in England for nice. two weeks. Um, so that's going to give me a great opportunity to pick their brain. Yeah. Um, and hopefully training with a number of the riders mm-hmm. while I'm in Belgium. Yeah. So, you know, results are important. I want to achieve those, but I know for sure that I have this opportunity to get mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge out of them. Yeah. It's a, you know, we could go on uh, several hours of talking about how Helen and other British riders have become successful in Europe, because that seems like another sort of almost invasion, right? I mean, Americans going over there, but the Brits sort of came out of nowhere. A couple of years ago, and really started doing well. What do you do? You have a sense of how that developed there? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the mud in Great Britain is significant. Yeah. So they learn how to <laughs> ride mud. It's also so easy for them to make a little jaunt over. Right. Them. Yeah. You know, you see a ton of British kids over there over a cursed period. Sure. Or even in the weeks leading up, because you can just do a weekend in Belgium. Yeah. Well, just head to Belgium for the weekend. Yeah. I mean, so development is easy for them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So are are you going to be doing any fun things while you're over there? I mean, you're going to make some time to do some things. Michael coming over? (laughs) Uh, Michael is coming over in November. Okay. So he'll be there during Masters, Mm -hmm. which is going to be fun. Yeah. So he'll be there. And then, ironically, I actually am going to Florida for January. Really? Which sounds crazy, but I'm only allowed 90 days in Belgium. Ah, right. Right. So I'm going to be bopping back and forth. I'm going to Belgium, then I'm going to England to get off the visa time. um, And then I'm going back to Belgium, and then I'm going to my mom's house in Florida while there's some downtime in Belgium, and then returning through the And when it's nice in Florida. (laughs) Right, because it was suggested to me that I could come back to Minnesota and train, and, well, you know, that didn't really seem ideal. Right, it could be 20 below. Right. And you're not a fan of that either. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that, but it's not cycling. Across. Right. Yeah. So will you be just downtiming it totally while you're in Florida? Or you, Not I mean, at just all. no. It will be a huge training block. Yeah. Um, it'll be while the world championships are going on mm-hmm. and also while there's just kind of some slow time, mm-hmm. cool time in yep. Belgium. Yep. So it's going to allow me to do a four week training block and hopefully that'll allow me to come into February races really hot when people are tired. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. they will have been working hard getting the world championships out of the way right, and, and resting and yeah, getting sick. And absolutely. <laughs> Well, Corey, this has been fantastic. It's really been fun having you back on the show. I think you're my first repeat guest, actually, This, on the, at least on the bike side. I've had a couple of bands come in and play a couple of times, but I think you're my first repeat uh, bike guest. Great. Grateful for your willingness to come over and uh, hope you'll share some stories with us along the way from, from over there. And if you do get back during... Uh, uh, during the winter, if you do come back at any point, let me know because it would be fun to have you come on, and uh, you know we can talk a little bit about where things are. And I think we're we're talking remote for that. Okay, Skype. We can do that. <laughs> I've actually done that. I've yeah, I've yeah. talked to riders from Europe uh, over Skype, and we can absolutely do that with you yep, too. It'd be absolutely. that'd be really fun. All right. Well, we're going to take things out as we always do with uh, bicycle race by Queen Corey. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>